The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with a Wall Street whipsaw. Futures are looking like they're going to open up lower after the Dow's worst day since 2020. Inflation, the Fed, and rising borrowing costs, a big part of this story The 10-year Treasury yield surging as high as 3.1%. And Earnings Central from DoorDash to Dropbox. Shake Shack to Sweet Green. A number of household names moving this morning on their quarterly results. And keep on trucking. It is not all red arrows out there on Wall Street. We're going to bring you the areas of the market that are actually doing well. And our guests will offer stock picks they say are poised to make you some cash. And this week's volatility ends with a major test for the markets. The monthly jobs report due out at 8 a.m. East, or excuse me, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. I want to mix you up. It's Friday, May 6, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. We want to get right to the markets this morning. The futures right now, well, fractionally lower. At least last time I checked, went away from the pop up here. Still fractionally lower this morning at this point. Still very early. Dow poised to open up about 100 points lower. This follows another really wild day on Wall Street. The major indices breaking three-day win streaks. The Nasdaq closing down 5%. Its worst day since June of 2020. The Dow dropping more than 3%. Its worst day since October of 2020. The Nasdaq Composite, the Nasdaq 100, and the Russell 2000 are in bear market territory, more than 20% from their 52-week highs. The Dow and the S&P, they're in correction, off more than 10%. And all 11 sectors, they closed lower in yesterday's section. The worst performer, you're seeing it right here, consumer discretionary, down nearly 6%. The best performer, if you want to call it that, that was utilities, only off about 1%. So they're Down in the red, but still the best performer. Sector hasn't done so great week to date. It's flat, ranking sixth of 11 sectors. But two-thirds of the stocks in the sector are up this week with NRG and AES, as well as Eversource, leading the way. Among the winners for this week, transports. What a turnaround. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about a freight recession. The Dow Transports Index, it's actually up for the week and on pace for its third positive week in the last four. You see right here, uh, down yesterday at least. Um, Among the best performing names in this group, we're talking about Expeditors, Hub Group, and ArcBest. This performance, all coming off strong earnings. These are also companies that provide more than just traditional truck, and they offer different freight solutions, freight forwarding, logistics, etc. All right, let's get a check on yields. The 10-year surging as high as 3.1% yesterday, its highest level since 2018. Right now, we're seeing the 10-year just below that 3.1% level right there, the yield at 3.075% right now. And, of course, we have to keep our eye on crypto. We're seeing Bitcoin and Ether actually up very slightly this morning, fractionally. Bitcoin up about a third of percent. But you have to remember, these, the, the Bitcoins, the major coins, are still down a lot from the start of April. Uh, start of April, Bitcoin was up at about 46000 Right now, we see it's at about 36000 Let's go worldwide right now. Sherry Kang is standing by in Hong Kong. Our Juliana Tattlebombs in our London newsroom. Sherry, let's begin with you. 
Good morning, Frank. So a lot of de-risking happening on this Friday in Asia. Japan was an interesting exception. Nikkei 225 actually pushed higher by 0.6%, but that index was coming back from three days of holidays. So interesting a result of a catch-up of that. But of course, Asian shares taking out Japan, hitting seven-week low. Uh, it wasn't as dramatic as what we saw on Thursday on Wall Street, of course, in terms of the magnitude of the sell-off. But certainly a big reversal of the picture that I was reporting on just 24 hours ago on this show. And I think it's really about China COVID, uh, zero COVID policy that really amplified a lot of fears. And of course, that that could be really the reason why we see this uh, more pronounced losses coming through in mainland China, as well as Hong Kong stocks. In fact, we've got uh, CSI 300 Chinese blue chip stocks down 2%. Hang Seng Index was really the big loser down more than 3%. And that was mainly led by technology names. So we're talking about Alibaba down a three, six, excuse me, 6.5%, Tencent's down, Meituan's and Xiaomi's in this space are taking a big hit on this Friday. And because of that COVID lockdown fears, we've got a Chinese currency taking a big hit as well. A yuan offshore hitting that 18-month low versus the U.S. dollar. In fact, CNH offshore yuan breaking below that 200-day moving average, a lot of bearish bets piling on this particular stock. And of course, just yesterday, we did see Chinese state TV uh, basically saying that China will be fighting any actions or comments that distort deny or doubt China's COVID response. So the market's thinking is that while China is doubling down on zero COVID policy, when the Fed is getting aggressive with hiking rates. Frank? All right, Sherry Kang, thanks for the latest from Asia. To the early trade over in Europe, our Juliana Tatelbaum, she's standing by in our London newsroom. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, it's a similar picture here in Europe to what Sherry just explained in Asia. We've got red across the board, but the magnitude of the selling not as severe as that selling that we saw on Wall Street yesterday. So we've got the CAC 40 over in France down more than 1%. The German market is down about 1% as well. Um, Some earnings coming into focus today in Germany. The big one to watch is Adidas. The sportswear giant came out with a cut guidance, which is very out of character for Adidas, which has been very strong of late. And that is because of what's happening in China. They are taking a massive hit on their China business. And that is coming through in terms of their forecast for the months ahead. FTSE 100 is down about eight tenths of a percent, a little bit more resilience in the Italian, Spanish and Swiss markets. From a sector perspective, this is what the split looks like in Europe. We do have a couple of sectors in the green autos and oil and gas. Oil and gas, a clear outperformer of those energy names up about one percent. On the downside, retail is underperforming. We're down about 2.4 percent media, real estate, and technology. Um, So overall, Frank, we are seeing uh, some red to close out the week here in Europe. Yeah, Juliana, thanks for that. All right, turning our attention back to the markets here in the U.S. And despite the wild and dramatic swings that we've seen this week, all three major indices, they're essentially flat for the week. The Dow up fractionally at this point, the S&P up one third of a percent, the Nasdaq down very slightly. For more on the signals within the market, let's bring in Craig Johnson, chief market technician at Piper Sandler. Craig, great, well, thank, great of you to be here. I'm about to say, great to have you here. I don't even know. It's early. Thank you for being here. How's it going? Craig, it's great to be here, and uh, thanks for having me back on the show. It's, yeah. uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been crazy out there as of late, and uh, 
I would sort of look at yesterday's price action as sort of throwback Thursday from my perspective, Frank. Throwback. Look at you, man, with the social media term. So uh, I'm going to jump into the, what we saw yesterday. I actually want to get into your support levels for the S&P. You have support levels for the S&P at 41.31 and 40.60. Now, I did some back of the napkin math. If the S&P falls 2% today, uh, we break through that to the downside. Now, I hate to be a negative thinker, but if we do go below that 2% mark and we break through those support levels, where do you see the markets heading after that? Well, Frank, yes, those are very, very key levels to be watching in the market. And the reason that those are key levels are simplistically this. We're starting to see a larger number of stocks in the S&P 500 breaking below those February and March lows. And in fact, that is the key level as a technician that I really want to watch and pay attention to. Right now, about 35% of all the stocks in the S&P 500 have already broken those lows. And to answer your question of where do you go? Well, we've already seen the bond market move back toward the, you know, February 2020 sort of pre-pandemic levels. We've seen the Russell getting pretty close to those levels. Not sure why we wouldn't see the S&P 500 get to those levels. So in the short term, in a washout type move in the market, which is kind of short term, what I would think could happen, you'd be back to those levels, which could put you another uh, 15 to 20% lower from where you are right now. Wow, Craig, you're, you're getting a lot of people's Friday off to a rough start. So uh, you're overweight on energy, materials, and also mega cap tech. Uh, are there any specific areas that you're looking at? Because obviously all the tech's under a lot of pressure due to interest rates. We're even seeing a Microsoft down 4% yesterday, Apple down nearly 3.5% yesterday. So when you say mega cap tech, what exactly are you talking about? Well, here's the challenge. When you look at this market, you have to be invested. And if you think about what's working inside of this market right now, it's really, as you said, energy, it's basic materials, and it's also utilities. But you start adding those parts of the entire market up, Frank, and you're, you're literally talking about 12% of the entire market. So I don't think that's a realistic recommendation to investors out there. So we've gone overweight, as you said, energy, basic materials, but you got to have something out there. And even though you've got Microsoft down 4%, these are still some of the best companies in the world to own from a longer term perspective. And some of the longer term trends, when you go back and look at weekly charts, they're still intact. Okay. They may correct a little bit further in here, but you still need to have exposure to these larger cap tech names. So it sounds and, like you're, I don't I hate to cut you off, but we're almost out of town. I want to ask you one more question. So, but it sounds like you're pretty, you're pretty bullish on FANG stocks still. Is that fair to say? I think, yes, that is fair to say. We need to have a place to put money to work. We need to have a place to hide. And I think those FANG stocks will be the place to be. But I okay. also think you need to own some of these stocks like Occidental on the energy side, because you're reversing 10 year plus downtrends in those names, Frank. Okay, one last thing. We're going to have to let you go in a second. Um, you believe that investors, they actually slept on uh, Powell's statement that the Fed is not, quote unquote, actively considering that 75 uh, point hike in June. Uh, of course, it was a rally at first. And then the next day, yesterday, we saw, you know, the big sell off. So just really quick, they got another night to sleep on it. What happens today? Are, are the markets still shaken up by that not actively considering? I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a relief rally in here today. But again, step back, look at the longer term weekly trend, Frank. It is still lower and it's going to be just that, just a relief rally. So look forward to move higher and then be sold again. All right, there we go. Craig Johnson, Piper Sandler, we really appreciate you being here. Thanks for the insight. Thank you. All right, now to some of your morning's top corporate headlines. The FDA announcing it is limiting the use of Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine for adults. The agency citing the risk of a rare blood clotting syndrome for that move. The shot is currently authorized for anyone 18 and older. The FDA says the J&J shot can be used in instances where another approved COVID vaccine is not accessible 
or if a person does not want to use the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. Lucid says it now has more than 30,000 reservations for its air sedan. The EV maker revealing those figures during first quarter results. The company saying those reservations do not include any vehicles from its recently announced agreement with Saudi Arabia's government for up to 100,000 vehicles. Lucid also saying that any customers making reservations after June 1st will have to pay 10 to 12 percent more for its air model. And Senator Pat Toomey is calling for new rules around crypto, saying that bad things could happen if investors to investors if stable coins are not regulated and regulated soon. Speaking with the Financial Times, the top Republican on the Senate Banking Committee pushed back on some of the strict measures being floated by Democrats. The Biden administration wants to limit the market so that only nationally regulated financial institutions are actually able to issue stable coins. But a bill from Toomey would let other organizations offer the coins as long as they publicly disclose their reserves every month and submit to an audit every three months. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the call of the consumers. Prices rise. Will shoppers still show up? It's really a key question for a whole lot of companies and, of course, the broader economy. We're going to talk to a top-ranked retail analyst, get some names that he says are good buys. That's coming up next. But first, as we head to break, check out some of this morning's biggest pre-market winners and some losers. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Good morning and welcome back to World Wide Exchange. If you're just waking up, you might want to grab that second cup of coffee, maybe a Red Bull. We look like we're going to be in for another volatile day of trading. Futures right now in the red, not down too much, pretty much fractionally. Dow looks like it could open up about 80 or so points lower at the open, still very early. As we've been talking about tech stocks, they've been getting hit the hardest. As of yesterday's close, check out just how far those FANG stocks have fallen from their 52-week highs. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, down 46 percent. Apple down 14 percent. Amazon down 38 percent. Netflix down 73 percent. Google down 23 percent. Fang stocks this morning in the pre-market trading. Let's take a look at them right now. Uh, You know, about 50-50 here. We're looking at Meta, probably the hardest hit or actually the hardest hit, down about a half a percent just over. But Netflix and Alphabet, Google's parent company in the green, at least in the pre-market, up fractionally. Well, beyond tech, one sector getting hit especially hard is consumer discretionary, off more than 25 percent from its most recent high, the most of any sector. As investors fear, shoppers are starting to scale back their spending on what are considered non-essential items. Just take a look at these price moves yesterday. Wayfair down 26 percent, Etsy down 17 percent, hitting a fresh 52-week low. Those are both pandemic darlings. Shopify down 15 percent, eBay down 12 percent, fresh 52-week low. Even Amazon losing 8%, another 52-week low. 
Joining me now is top-ranked retail analyst Scott Mushkin, founder and CEO of R5 Capital. Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, let's start off with some of the big names you have here. You have a buy rating on Amazon, Walmart, and Target. So my question right. to you is, how do they fend off, if this is true, that consumers aren't spending as much on things that they don't really need? Um, you know, when it comes to Walmart in particular, they have a really huge grocery business, more than 50% of revenue, but that's really low margin. If people aren't going in there and buying other stuff besides grocery, how does Walmart continue to do well? I mean, you got a couple things going on. First is almost a natural switch back to uh, services and and uh, getting out there. And so that's kind of been a natural thing we, we've been seeing. So you get a little bit of that. But the real challenge we're seeing is almost like a crowding out effect. And this is particularly at the low end. I mean, if you look at what's going on with inflation, I mean, it's crazy. We've been talking about this with both our uh, or buy side clients, but also we have a big consulting business. We talk about it with them. There's a lot of fear out there with what's going on with food, uh, utilities, and rent. I mean, you're talking about income, you know, households with income under 52,000. You're seeing their basic, basic items go up. And we think the government numbers are a little bit off and, and off in the low end. So you're seeing some of these basic things go up 20%. Uh, this is putting an enormous amount of strain on some of these households. And it's putting a lot of fear into people like a Walmart or a Dollar General. Um, but even some of the supermarket guys that I talked to, volumes have now turned negative. Um, and then you mentioned discretionary. I mean, discretionary, it's almost like panic. So I, I want to look at some of the other stocks you, you talk about. And just in general, sure. you're saying that e-commerce is really, you know, I guess it's matured. It's certainly not down. It's higher than it was pre-pandemic. But the growth right. rates that we saw, they're just not going to happen anymore. I was interested, interested in the fact that you had uh, Amazon, Target and Walmart as a buy. But Costco as a whole, I don't really think of Costco mm -hmm. as, as a, uh, you know, a dot com retailer or, or an e-commerce retailer. I really feel like you go into the store. I know they have a grocery delivery business, but the other three that you have a buy on, they're really pushing into e-commerce. So are they going to be hurt by this trend or are they going to be helped by people going back to the store? Well, I mean, I think uh, I think if you look at Costco specifically, I mean, that's one of the best retailers globally. We had a buy on it for a long time. Um, and, you know, we you know are thought about Costco. It's like a great athlete. It's just the best in class. Think like a Michael Jordan. Um, but, you know, in the business, uh, I had a great mentor. His name is Barclay Perry. He always said, you know, you trim all the way up. So we didn't tell people to necessarily sell Costco, but taking some profits when it was up near 600, uh, 575 made a ton of sense. As far as the other guys, uh, kind of our big focus um, on uh, at R five has been companies with uh, specific initiatives that can drive you know, better you know better earnings than people are thinking. But we've also had a big uh, you know we've been looking more at valuation compared to maybe we had in the past. Uh, although we always you know took it seriously. So if you look at like a Target, you know Target is what we think is one of the more undervalued retailers. It's one of our top picks for two thousand twenty two. Uh, and clearly, they, you know, they're what we call an omni-channel superhero. They have great <laughs> uh, store pickup. They have, you know, they own shipped. You know, Target, Brian Cornell, who's just one of the best executives that I've actually worked with over a long period of time, you know, he's really, and his team have really transformed that organization over the last seven years. And, and we just don't think they get seven, eight years. We don't think they get the credit they deserve. Walmart's more of a safety play. Um, although we do have concerns with that low-end uh, consumer, you know, lower at lower end, middle, um, that they're under a lot of strain. So we do worry about the non-grocery business at Walmart, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, you could start backing up some of that discretionary spending and, and product, depending on how that consumer holds in. All right, I got to touch on a few pandemic darlings. Wayfair down 26% at 52-week low. Etsy mm -hmm. down 17%. Shopify down 15% after some weak forward guidance. Um, 
Are we just not going to buy things from these online retailers? You said that people want to go back to the store. Is this a permanent trend that's going to continue to hurt these companies? No, I mean, if you, I mean, I mean, we're going to have a, a period of consolidation because, you know, everyone was buying everything online. I mean, if you look at Amazon, you know, the biggest in the business, I mean, you have, you pulled forward huge amounts of revenues. They've grown their business tremendously. The biggest issue we actually see is that expenses are out of control. Um, this is most demonstrated, I think, by Amazon. I mean, they built an enormous network and, you know, fuels up a ton. You got labor costs up significantly. What people don't realize is a lot of these e-com facilities, these distribution facilities, they use a ton of labor, an absolute ton of labor. You can have 2,500 people employed there. And so there are definitely big challenges um, and expenses are, are clearly hurting them. And then, of course, we have the natural reversion here as we digest a lot of growth. And then you look at someone like a wafer, someone dealing with a lot of discretionary items. I mean, housing, again, you know, concerns. Um, you know, we've had such an increase in home prices. You look at like a Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, things that were selling for $600,000 are now $1.2 million on the market again 18 months later. Um, things in Florida, same thing. So we have some, you know, we definitely have some issues uh, in those types of uh, names, discretionary names. Housing, is, is demand going to hold up? Um, and, but generally speaking, it's expense issue and a digestion issue. Not that these businesses are, you know, done. All right, Scott Mushkin, we appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more of this morning's big money movers, including what has shares of DoorDash taking off. The first is we had to break another group of stocks worth watching. Those are lithium names. Albemarle. I'm not only if I'm pronounced that right, but it's a lithium company. It rose 10% yesterday now on pace for its best week since January of 2021. Livent on track for its best week ever. Sociedad, SQM, is up 9% this week. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Good morning and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. If you are just waking up, futures right now in the red actually falling from where they were just a little bit ago. The Dow right now at this point, very early, looking like it could open up more than 100 points lower. And now turning our attention to oil prices, those prices, they were up very slightly earlier this morning. Right now, also ticking up slightly higher, actually more than slightly, up about 1.5% for both WTI and Brent crude. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of this morning, and what a morning it is. Stock one, block. Shares climbing despite quarterly results missing on both the top and the bottom lines. But the financial services company giving some upbeat outlook about its cash app business. Block reporting $578 million in gross profit for cash app mobile wallet ahead of its analyst estimates. 
Stock two, DoorDash. Its share is also taking off on its first quarter revenue beat. The food delivery company citing total orders for that better than expected number rising 23% year over year to top 400 million for the first time ever. DoorDash reporting a larger than expected loss despite that record order number. And stock three, Dropbox. Shares gaining on the back of better than expected quarterly results. The software company reporting an adjusted profit of 38 cents per share on revenues of $562 million. Both of those topped Wall Street's expectations. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Happy Friday, Happy Friday to you, Frank. Good morning. We start with U.S. officials telling NBC News that U.S. intelligence may have helped Ukraine sink the Russian warship Moskva last month. The officials say the U.S. helped confirm the ship's location but was not involved in the decision to strike. The White House did not immediately provide a comment on that. The WNBA season tips off tonight as teams show their support for Brittany Griner. All 12 teams will have Griner's initials and number 42 on their home courts throughout the season. The Mercury All-Star has been detained in Russia since February. Her team hosts the Las Vegas Aces in one of four games tonight. The defending champion Chicago Sky start their quest for a repeat against the Sparks. The number of unruly passengers on planes has plummeted, according to an FAA report. The week before the mandate was lifted, there were 4.4 unruly passengers per 10,000 flights. Well, the following week, it was down nearly 60 percent. The FAA imposed a zero-tolerance policy on passenger flight disturbances in January of 2021. After a pandemic surge of incidents, Frank, it also helps that a lot of these airlines stop serving booze <laughs> on those flights. So overall, people are now more calm, more zen, more happy, smiling, I guess, without the masks. <laughs> Yeah, the mask definitely caused a lot of tension, but, you know, uh, hard, hard to really talk about this one. Obviously, a lot of COVID cases around the country, but I'm glad the unruly passengers, that's declined. So good yeah. news there. Enjoy your sure. weekend, Francis. You too. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we're talking tech and some names that could be goodbyes amid the NASDAQ carnage. But first, as we had to break, some more stats for you about this very wild week. Chip stocks are still hanging on to their weekly gains. Among the notable names, monolithic power systems up 15% during the last four days. AMD is on pace for its best week since February, despite falling about 6% yesterday. If it holds on today, it's poised to snap a five-week losing streak, its longest since 2018. Stay with Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. The market's volatile week rolls on as the post-Fed rally just falls apart. Futures suggesting the selling may not be over just yet. Tech especially taking it on the chin, shedding 5% yesterday as investors continue to fall out of favor with the sector. Wedbush's Dan Ives is standing by just to pick through all the wreckage. And Elon Musk bid to buy Twitter reportedly, catching the eye of federal regulators, launching a probe of that $44 billion deal. It is Friday, May the 6th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here's how your money and the markets look right now. We're going to start off with the futures in the red this morning, down slightly lower than they were earlier this morning. Right now, the Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower. Again, still very early. Another wild day on Wall Street yesterday. The major indices breaking their three-day win streaks. The Nasdaq closing down 5%. It's worst day since June of 2020, the Dow dropping more than 3%. It's worst day since October of 2020, the Nasdaq Composite, the Nasdaq 100, and the Russell 2000. All three are in bear market territory, more than 20% from their 52-week highs. The Dow and the S&P, they're in correction, off 10% or more. 
We also want to look at yields. We have to watch yields. They've had a big impact on this market. The 10-year right now, right at about 3.073, the yield on there. Uh, yesterday, it topped at 3.1% level, its highest level since 2018. We saw some of the impact on the market. We also want to talk about oil right now. Oil trading higher this morning, uh, up just right now, almost 2% for both WTI and Brent, uh, trading at about 110 a barrel for WTI. All right, so right now, uh, a lot of people are trying to navigate fears of tightening supply, et cetera. Energy still has been one of the strongest performing sectors so far this year, and a number of sector names having really strong weeks so far. We're talking about Devon, Occidental, Marathon, Cotera, Pioneer. All you can see right here, all of them up over 10%. Devon, the best performer out the group, up about 16.5%. All right, back to tech. The NASDAQ coming off its worst single-day performance in almost two years with a 5% loss, now trading at a fresh 52-week low and its lowest level since November of 2020. For the week, the index is on track for its longest weekly losing streak in 10 years and is now more than 24% off of its all-time high. Speaking of all-time highs, let's take a look at FANG stocks and where they stand from their all-time highs. Right now, we're looking at it. Facebook's parent company, Meta, down 46% from its all-time high. We're going to go to the wall right here. Um, also seeing Apple down 14%, Amazon down 38%, Netflix down 73%, Google down 23%. And joining me now, Wedbush Managing Director of Equity Research, Dan Ives. Dan, so great to have you here this morning to talk all this through. So we're seeing the tech wreck. Uh, how much of it is interest rate pressure? Are there other factors causing big cap tech, cloud names, chip names to, to really be under pressure? Yeah, it's been a nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I, and I think what you're seeing is the combination, you know, deleveraging across the board, you know, worries around the Fed and ultimately what you're seeing in terms of multiples across the board for tech stocks. And I think, I, look, I think the crux of this is investors are worried about what this means for fundamentals. Do, do you believe numbers for this year, for 2023? I mean, Frank, I just say I've seen this three times. I, early 2001, fall 2008, and today. So the point, I'm not calling up necessarily that this is a bottom, but I believe the panic, the fear that I'm seeing is, is, is really unique uh, relative to what I've seen the last 21 years. All right, Dan, you're saying a lot of bu- buzzwords here. You're saying bottom, panic. So I have to ask you flat out, is this an opportunity to buy some of these names? Oh, I mean, I, I firmly believe anyone that has a time horizon you know, that that's beyond a week or a month for tech. When I look at names like Microsoft, Apple, some of the fang names, you look where Google is and other cybersecurity. Look, unless you think enterprise spend is falling off a cliff, no one's going to buy iPhones, that this is ultimately going to be, you know, something where you see massive consumer and enterprise spend off the cliff. Then to me, this is the time. And that's what we've been advising clients. I mean, the point is, in chaos, with many yelling fire in a crowd theater, you know, it's very easy for panic. We believe this is the time as we've navigated declines over the last few decades in tech. All right. Dan, you just mentioned enterprise. You and I actually, we met up earlier this week to talk about some cloud names and about cloud being under pressure. The WCLD ETF on pace for, I believe, its seventh month in the red. Um, are there any particular names that you would point to? You mentioned cybersecurity, so we can lump that in with cloud. Are there any best-of-class names that you believe, if you have a horizon, as you mentioned, longer than a week that you should buy right now? Yeah, and just for context, 40% of workloads there in the cloud. We still have the vast majority ahead of us. That's why you look at names like Microsoft, Oracle, 
You play the cloud themes with names like Google and Amazon, the AWS theme. And then ultimately, I think tangentially, you also see with benefits with the names of IBM as well. And I think that, look, that's why in these situations, you look at where the spend, it's a bifurcated tech tape. Enterprise spend is where you want to be focused on. That's ultimately what's been strong through earnings and cloud. You know, to me, we're still in the fourth, fifth inning of this all playing out. All right. A lot of people have been talking about uh, it's risk off. Basically, the translation is high risk names, high valuation names. People just aren't into them. Is there anywhere in those high valuation names or, quote unquote, high risk names that you would put your money into? Are you a believer in the EV story, the, uh, you know, autonomous vehicle story? Do you believe a stock like a Peloton could come back? Well, well, first of all, I think when it comes to electric vehicles, if I look at names like Tesla, where they trade today, that continues to be one that we're super bullish on over the coming years. And look, I just think when you ultimately really peel away the onion, where is the spend going to be? It's ultimately going to be on areas like EV, across the supply chain. There's even names like LiCycle and other ways to play the EV food chain. And then I think also on the consumer side, you look what's happening in terms of the supply chain. The, ultimately, the headwind becomes the talent. It comes down to when you look at scenarios. That's why when I look at Apple, I look at chips. You look at what happened with AMD. You look at names like NVIDIA. And that's why this is the time for the high-quality tech names in a bifurcated tech tape. That's what you own here where panic's in the air. All right. Dan Ives, my tech counselor. We appreciate you being here on, early on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right, now to some of this morning's other top stories outside of the markets. Elon Musk bid to buy Twitter reportedly come under, coming under scrutiny by federal regulators. According to Bloomberg, the FTC is reviewing Musk's $44 billion takeover of the social media company. The report says the agency will decide the next month whether it will launch a more in-depth antitrust probe of that deal that could potentially delay closing the deal by months. Peloton is apparently seeking a minority investment to help strengthen its business amid ongoing struggles. According to reports, the fitness company is actively courting potential investors to buy between 15 and 20 percent of the company. That includes industry players and private equity firms. The reported move follows previous reports that Peloton was looking for an outright sale with the likes of Amazon. And a Senate committee has passed a bill setting the stage for potential lawsuits against OPEC for collusion on boosting crude oil prices. The NOPEC bill would change U.S. antitrust law to revoke the sovereign immunity that has long protected OPEC and its national oil companies from lawsuits. The Biden administration says it has concerns about the potential implications and unintended consequences of that legislation. The bill must pass the full Senate and the House and then be signed by President Biden to become law. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more of your morning's big money movers, including the worrying signals sending shares of Zillow lower. But first, as we had to break, Check out this week's biggest S&P winners and losers. Stay tuned. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Good morning and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures following yesterday's thousand point drop for the Dow right now in the red, actually kind of a little bit of a roller coaster ride. They were at a, about this level earlier then they dipped a little bit now coming back up. It's again still in the red. Dow looks like it would open up about 75 points lower at this point. Super early. Well, if you want to know how broad the sell off was, check out these stats. Six hundred and sixty two Nasdaq stocks. They hit new lows yesterday. 
Only 33 hit new highs. We're going to get to some of those names, the under-the-radar winners, with two portfolio managers in just a minute. But first, time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We're going to start off with Shake Shack. Shares lower, down about 2.5%, despite better-than-expected first-quarter results. But the fast-food restaurant chain is forecasting a revenue outlook for the second quarter between $233 and $239 million. That is below Wall Street's estimates. Stock two, Sweet Green. The salad maker shares are popping on mixed results. Posting a loss of 45 cents per share, analysts were looking for a loss of 41 cents. But revenue of $102 million, better than expected. Sales jumped 67% as workers returned to their offices and resumed their old-school lunch routines. And stock three, Zillow. Shares dropping despite its quarterly results, blowing past the street's forecast. But Zillow offering a disappointing forecast, citing an uncertain real estate environment. The company specifically citing the rising rates as one headwind for its path forward. All right, now over to our exclusive insider buying segment, highlighting the top five C-suite executive stock buys of the week. And in a market where stocks have been falling, we're seeing some big names pick up stocks. Fifth biggest insider buy of the week, we begin with Intel. CEO Pat Gelsinger buying $245,000 worth of shares. It's his third straight quarterly buy. Number four, H&E Equipment Services. CEO buying $683,000 last week of the equipment rental company shares. Third most insider buying, General Motors. The CFO buying $1.36 million worth. His first ever insider buy of GM stock. Number two, Keurig Dr. Pepper. An insider buying $2.46 million last week. His second big purchase in just over a year. And drumroll, please, the most insider buying last week, General Electric CEO and Chair Larry Culp, snapping up $4.84 million worth of GE shares. That stock actually fell after earnings, so he bought on weakness. Our Brian Sullivan just interviewed him a few days ago. He sounded very optimistic, so he's actually putting his money where his mouth is. Culp has now invested $14.5 million in the company since he's taken over. So there are your top five insider buys this week. Intel, H&E Equipment, GM, KDP, and GE. Our thanks, as always, to Insider Score Verity for that data. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the market roller coaster it is not done yet. Futures pointing to more turbulence ahead. Our market panel cuts through the noise on the moves you need to make with your money right now. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. If investors are feeling a little dazed and confused, this chart could explain the situation. Check out the Dow's wild ride since last Friday. Uh, A lot of ups and downs there. All right, taking a look at futures this morning in the red. Uh, Right now we're seeing the Dow down about 3%. uh, Sorry, this was yesterday, Dow down about 3%. Um, here's what it, here's the futures now uh, looking actually a little bit better than they were earlier. Um, still in the red, but the Dow looking like it's going to open up about 43 points lower at this point. Again, early uh, just a minute ago, that was about 75 points. All right. Here's a look at what investors will be watching as we close out the week. Three economic reports all due out at 830 Eastern time. We get the April jobs report with non-farm payrolls, unemployment rate, as well as a look at average hourly wages. Huge report coming up before the bell. Also, some earnings to watch before the bell, including results from Cigna and Under Armour. We'll also be hearing speeches from five key Fed leaders. New York Fed President John Williams, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic, Fed Governor Chris Waller, St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard, and San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. So a lot to digest for investors today. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. 
And Dan Morgan, Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager at Synovus Trust. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. A lot to unpack. Hi, Frank. So, Greg, I'm going to start off with you. Um, a lot of people are looking forward to the big jobs report coming up at 830 this morning. A lot of pressure, um, a lot of thoughts about that. But you're actually looking past that to next week to our next CPI print. So I want to ask you about both, if you don't mind. How do you see the jobs report impacting the market? And then what are you looking for in that CPI print next week? Right. And, and I think you intimated probably what I think, Frank. The jobs report, uh, unless it's in, on one of the extreme or the other, is likely a not event. At this point, with around 2 million more jobs, uh, than, than willing workers, uh, with our lowest benefits being taken in 50 years. Uh, the Fed's hands are, are really tied, unless there was a cratering in employment, which it doesn't seem is on the horizon. Uh, largely, they forced themselves into this by being behind the curve on combating this inflation. There were many of us who thought they should have come out of Jackson Hole with a plan to start tightening last year. They didn't do that. And so at this point, their hands are, are largely tied. But the next CPI print may indeed be a big event. At the end of the day, we're going to have to start talking about the base effect again. And you may remember that this was a very popular phrase in 2021 for those who are in that transitory camp and nothing to see here in inflation. But it's now working the other way. Last year, we, last month, we put up 8.5% on a March 2021 of 2.6%. But April of 2021 is when we started to move past the 4% level on CPI. We put up 4.6% in April 2021, 5% in May. And so this is going to be very binary. If we continue to put up 8% plus, I think that the environment is more deleterious than even I thought. And recall that I'm thinking that fair value on the S&P is somewhere below 4,000 at this point. And if we come in with two or 300 basis points below where we were last month, I think that that will breathe a short-lived relief rally into the market, a market so desperate for any whiff of good news at this point. Folks will probably ignore the base effect at play, and those who have said that inflation was peaking get to be right and uh, take that victory lap. So, Dan, I want to come over to you. If we're going to see a relief rally, uh, tech was going to have to be a big part of it. You actually believe there's a potential bounce for tech coming up. Um, but obviously, you know, we have a lot of concerns about rates, inflation, et cetera. What areas of tech do you see having that bounce? I know you think that the, just throwing a dart at FANG stocks and, and hoping for gains, that trade's over. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you were talking about the CPI data in terms of the impact that it has on market valuations. I think what we're seeing now is in terms of inflation being very high, which historically means we have very low P.E. ratios on the market. And I think that's what's really hurting tech right now. But there are some areas of strength. If you look at, for example, the rollout of 5G, you look at artificial intelligence, you look at the movement towards data center. A lot of the things that have been brought out in the last week or so are well documented. We know that we're seeing a slowdown in terms of social media spending. Uh, we saw that with the Google numbers. We saw that with Meta, Twitter, Pins, all those numbers, Snap. Uh, but there are still pockets of strength. Um, so I think, uh, you know, tech isn't completely wiped out. I just think we're seeing a reevaluation because of concerns about P.E. ratios that brings down, uh, or excuse me, inflation, bringing down the P.E. ratios. And, of course, most of the tech stocks trade at very high multiples. So I think that's what we're seeing right now in terms of the impact on tech. But tech isn't completely dead. There's still sectors that are expected to do very well. Yeah, you know, speaking of tech, Greg, I want to come back over to you. You're actually looking at one very specific area of tech, fintech. I know we don't really need to talk about Visa, MasterCard, and Amex as fintech, but they really are fintech stocks. And you believe there's a lot of upside to them 
uh, just because of our you know, general reopening and travel trends, even if there is a recession? Well, I'm going to follow on with what our colleagues just said a little bit here, Frank. At the end of the day, this is an environment where we're not going to get multiple expansions. And in an environment where you can't count on multiple expansion to drop performance, you have to look at where the earnings growth is. And so Visa and MasterCard uh, have been putting up 20% plus top line and 20% plus bottom line. The key catalyst for me on uh, turning positive about six months ago was I was looking for a return for those cross-border transactions, and that came through uh, in, in blaring fashion in the last report. I was looking for a return of travel and entertainment spending. That came through, came through in, in blazing fashion this last quarter. Uh, but there are other areas where you can get that double-digit top line and that double-digit bottom line growth. And even within big tech, you're going to have to differentiate. There's a difference between an Apple growing at mid-single digits and a Microsoft growing at 20% top line and putting up 20% bottom line. And as you look for safety, that's where you can find some relative performance in that sustainable earnings growth. So, Dan, back over to you. I want to actually bounce off one of Greg's initial points. He's looking forward to the CPI, not the jobs report. I don't know if you believe it's going to be a non-event either way. You can answer in a second. Um, But if we get that CPI report and we don't see any decline in inflation or if it ticks up, that's going to raise some concerns about economic growth. Will we continue to see this slide when it comes to tech stocks? I think so. I mean, as we mentioned before, the inflation number is absolutely key because, you know, we had these conversations, Frank, a year ago, and everybody said that inflation was going to be transitory, right? We know the Fed has a toolkit, things they can change in terms of slowing down inflation. They can't change oil prices. They can't change shortages. So inflation could stay elevated for a sustained period of time. And again, a lot of these tech stocks do trade at very high multiples. I think the average P ratio right now in the NASDAQ is about 41 times earnings. So again, you have this compression associated with times of high inflation. If you go back and look at the 1970s, the average P ratio on the S&P 500 was about 10 times earnings because we had very high inflation. So there's no doubt, uh, Frank, that the CPI number is absolutely critical not only in terms of how it impacts P.E. ratios, but the concerns that inflation will eat into growth going forward, which then slows down I.T. budgets and the enterprise space, and that hurts tech. But I will say this, Frank. Uh, I've been in the business for over 30 years, and I don't think we're anywhere close to where we were back in the summer of 2000 uh, when we had the tech bubble. Uh, there's too many underlining strengths within technology right now. I just think that we're going through a period of reevaluation. Dan, really quick, we're almost out of time. Can you just give us, uh, you know, Greg was nice enough to give us a few names, uh, stocks. Any stocks you're especially bullish on in that tech area? Well, tech right now, I think I would focus on the names we mentioned earlier. I mean, Apple's one of our major holdings. Also, uh, Microsoft continues to be very interesting because they've been able to accelerate their top-line growth. NVIDIA, which we're reporting about a month from now, they should continue to do very well in the data center and the gaming space. So these would be stocks for your viewers to look at if they have the right investment objectives and tolerance. Uh, but those right. are some names that we currently have on our buy list. All right, we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Greg Branch and Dan Morgan, thank you both for being here. We really appreciate the insight, especially on a day like this. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a realtor can help answer. 
Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.